Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about a question I received from a podcast listener a few months ago. Um, And this listener asked me to compare the option of uh, borrowing more to upgrade your home uh, and as a result, uh, you know, buying a a better location that potentially provides better capital growth, better tax-free capital growth, uh, versus uh, staying where you are and just borrowing against the equity and to uh, invest in property. And the readers or listeners, I should say, hypothesis or observation was that the costs associated with investing in property, including things like land tax, uh, seem to be ever rising and um, perhaps avoiding some of those costs and investing per se in your home uh, was going to be uh, better, which is what I'm going to spend this podcast talking about. Um, but what I wanted to do is widen the, the scope of the question and add a third option that is investing in shares. So really three options, invest in your home, you know, upgrade your home, two, invest in property and three, invest in shares. Now, which I'm going to talk about in a second, I have reservations and significant concerns with taking a large lump sum of money and investing in the stock market in one go, in one hit, particularly if it's from borrowed funds. Uh, So I'm not advocating that approach, but as an independent financial advisory firm, it's really important for me to always provide a balanced view. And sometimes that means we're comparing options that are more academic options than practical ones, which I think is the case in this situation. But so I just wanted to provide that caveat to say, okay, I'm going to uh, compare these three options, but they're not all practical uh, options, just again. So I'm being agnostic between property and shares, which I think uh, if you have any experiences in financial services, you know is pretty rare. Uh, So the best way to compare the options is to financially model all of them and compare the outcomes over the longer term, which I've done over a 20-year period. Um, One of the key underlying assumptions that we need to make uh, in modelling these things is the interest rate assumption. And normally uh, what I like to do when completing financial modelling is I will assume interest rates at 6.5%. which is broadly the long-term median, particularly, uh, well, if we, if we kind of ignore maybe the recent history over the last couple of years. Um, but arguably, I realise that, you know, that's less appropriate or applicable, um, particularly given uh, central banks around the world are making their way to zero or already at zero in terms of interest rates. And most of them, if not all of them, are undertaking some quantitative easing, which means that they'll probably wind back quantitative easing before they start thinking about raising interest rates. All this comes together to suggest that perhaps interest rates will be persistently low for an extended period of time. And therefore, my typical long-term interest rate assumption of 6.5% is erroneous and a little bit perhaps misleading between the strategies. Um, But also, we need to, at the same time, hold the same view that it's not impossible for interest rates to increase in the future. In fact, it's likely that they will increase at some point. Uh, So it's not a question of if, it's more a question of when. Uh, As such, what I've done is I've assumed uh, that variable interest rates won't change for the next three years. So I've assumed uh, 3.7 for investment interest-only debt and 2.9 for home loan principal interest debt. 
And then what I've assumed after three years, that over the next decade, they will increase by 3% on a straight line basis. So essentially making their way to that sort of circa 6.5% uh, amount. Now, uh, one of the problems with um, building a financial model where you've got varying assumptions over the time period is that it's inherently difficult to um, verify those assumptions, you know, their their opinion. Uh, and, of course, they could be wrong, particularly for trying to crystal ball gaze and try and predict what interest rates will be in five years' time. For example, it's, it's just as good as throwing a dart at a dartboard, or just as accurate, I should say, uh, particularly if I'm throwing the dart. Um, but the most important thing, I think, to take from this analysis is that I've tried to accommodate the likelihood that interest rates will be lower for longer. And then secondly, and most importantly, that the interest rate assumptions that I've utilised to compare all three scenarios have been exactly the same. And I think that's the most important thing. So let's get into the scenarios that I modelled uh, that, and, and compared. Option one was really a situation where you owned your own home worth a million dollars and that you could go and borrow another million dollars and upgrade your home to a value worth $2 million. And by doing that, uh, you get yourself into a better area that's going to achieve uh, a better capital growth, you know, 1% or 2% higher capital growth rate than where you're currently residing. That's option one. Uh, and then, of course, then you spend the next 20 years or so repaying that million-dollar mortgage. Uh, option two is borrowing a million dollars and investing in property. Uh, and I've assumed you generate a 2% rental yields, a pretty low, pretty conservative rental yield, that's before expenses, uh, and a capital growth rate of 7%, uh, which would be uh, commensurate with long-term uh, growth rates of investment-grade property. And then the third option is, and this is a, more of an academic option, as I've uh, talked about, uh, the third option is borrowing a million dollars and investing in the share market. Now, I've assumed you'll get a yield of about 4%, uh, if you have a mixture of uh, Australian and international uh, shares uh, with a little bit of franking credits. Uh, and in terms of capital growth, what I've done is made it uh, comparable with property. So property, I've gone 2% income and 7% growth being 9% total return. So if I'm assuming 4% uh, income for shares, then I've got to assume 5% of growth uh, for the shares to make sure that the total return is commensurate with property, otherwise we're going to distort the results. Um, in some markets, it's going. It's certainly pointing that way. In other markets, like the US market, uh, certainly the the prospect of five percent growth over the next period of time is uh, in the next ten years is is quite low, I would say. Uh, so I compared the. Uh, three options and essentially the investment and the share market option uh, came out about the same. The investment property was marginally ahead of shares, which I was really surprised at because um, obviously with shares, the expenses associated with investing in the share market are very low. You don't have land tax, you don't have property management and maintenance and insurances and all these sorts of things. Uh, plus also the dividends are higher and you get some imputation credits and franking credits which increase uh, the income return. Uh, and so I would have uh, intrinsically, uh, I would have expected the share um, option to come uh, to generate a, a better result than the investment property, but it didn't. Uh, the home upgrade uh, scenario, however, was by far 
the best option. So to get, so put some numbers around it, uh, net worth in today's dollars in 20 years' time, uh, the share option uh, was about $3.5 million, uh, for both uh, and about $4.5 uh, million for the home upgrade option. Uh, so substantially better off on a percentage terms uh, to upgrade the home rather than invest in property or invest in shares. Uh, now, just to explain why did property uh, end up being slightly better than shares given the income is and expenses are, are vastly different? Well, it really just comes down to the fact that property provides most of its return in capital growth, which isn't taxed or at least isn't taxed until you sell the property. And by the way, I've included or I've counted after-tax returns here, so after-capital gains tax and so forth. Um, uh, and so that compounding natural compounding impact of capital growth, the higher capital growth rate you get in property, is a thing that uh, makes it generate more net worth after all taxes at the end of the day. So kind of interesting um, analysis, I think. And you know, it's, it's sometimes you get surprised by the financial analysis that you do even after twenty years of doing it. Uh, uh, so in the past, however, you know, upgrading your home and investing, if I use this term uh, loosely, investing in your home uh, uh, hasn't always been a good strategy. And the reason for that is that it gives rise to a lot of non-deductible debt and that can be really expensive. And the reason it's expensive is because obviously you've got to pay the interest from after-tax dollars. Um, and at a high interest rate environment, someone with a large amount of non-deductible debt in the past, over the last 20 years or so, um, they'll be potentially in a situation where all they're doing is just paying paying the interest um, rather than uh, rather than being able to invest in other assets or repay the loan. So, for example, if you have a million dollar uh, home loan and the interest rate is 7%, then the interest cost is $70,000 a year. Well, you need to earn $150,000 of pre-tax income to be able to just pay the $70,000 a year, and that's before you can make any loan repayments or invest in other assets. Uh, so, But that's not the case in a lower interest rate environment. In a lower interest rate environment, obviously the interest bill is substantially less, and therefore um, it leaves more cash flow left over to one, make debt repayments, so you're reducing your debt exposure, and two, uh, uh, pursue other activities that are going to increase your net worth, such as super contributions, investing in property, these sorts of um, sorts of things. Uh, so the if we uh, draw or if you share the view that interest rates are going to be lower for longer, that this potential opportunity of investing in your home uh, starts to become uh, financially more realistic than what it has done in the past. Uh, as I said, I would never recommend uh, someone just uh, go and dump a million dollars in the share market tomorrow. To me, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, instead, what I would do is I would break the money up into smaller tranches and invest it over a period of time. Uh, and that period of time could be a few a few years. And the benefit of that is it just spreads your time in risk. You know, the share market in terms of volatility, is twice as much volatility than the property market does. So therefore, the possibility that you go and invest today, the, there's a possibility that your money's going to be worth a lot less tomorrow. That's a higher probability than what it is in the property market. Over the long run, returns are commensurate. In the short run, because of the volatility, the returns can be all over the place. 
Um, so again, I'm not advocating going and borrowing a million dollars against your equity and dumping it into the share market. It was more of an academic uh, comparison. Uh, of course, a word of warning, if this is your strategy, then um, upgrading your home or investing in your home won't necessarily help you fund retirement, uh, unless obviously if you downsize one day, you know, you can't uh, use your equity in your home to fund retirement, pay for living expenses and so forth. Uh, so it doesn't matter how much equity in in your home you have, unless you, as I said, decide to downside downsize it. Now, I caution people um, building a strategy around downsizing their home and crystallizing equity, unless it's really obvious and unless they, they can have some really strong opinions about uh, where they'll end up and the type of property they're in and so forth. Um, the reason I caution people about it is because downsizing your accommodation size doesn't always result in a large amount of cash left over. So that is, if you've um, grown up in an area, brought up kids in an area, you have roots and, and uh, community connections and you like the amenities in that location, uh, and, but you've got this big family home and the kids are left home and it's too big for you both to live in, then it makes sense to downsize. Um, but if you say in the same area, maybe you sell your family home and go and buy a low-maintenance brand-new townhouse, for example, that's well-located, uh, from a value perspective, you might not find you might find that you might not walk away with a lot of cash, and so if you don't walk away with a lot of cash, then it's really not going to help you fund retirement. Uh, so building a strategy around investing in your home and thereby one day downsizing, uh, if that's all the strategy is relying upon, be very careful with that. But if it's one component of a strategy, or if it's a Plan B, Plan C, uh, then that can uh, that can work really well. Obviously, one of the attractions to investing in property, uh, so that is gearing, uh, borrowing against your home equity, investing in property, is that it helps reduce your tax. And that's often referred to as negative gearing. And that's the reason. The reason for that is that the income that you receive from the property will be less than its expenses, which means it makes an income loss. And you can offset that loss against other income, such as your PAYG employment income, and therefore pay less tax. Um but we have to realise in a low interest rate environment, the negative gearing benefits are substantially less. In fact, they're not very material at the moment. I mean, if you think about the lowest three-year fixed rate for investment is about 2.7%. Uh, and if you think about gross rental yields, they tend to range from, say, 2 to 4.5%. Uh, so it's possible if you're getting 4% rental income and only paying 2.7% in interest that your property is going to be pretty close to neutral in terms of cash flow and therefore not providing you any tax benefits. Uh, now, there's no problem with this. I'm not suggesting it's an issue. Um, uh, and nor, uh, I've always cautioned people against being attracted to investing in property primarily just to save tax. That's a nonsense. You're investing in property to build wealth. Um, so the fact that the negative gearing benefits are drying up or certainly not as material as they once were, I think in a way is good because people won't be attracted to investing in property. They'll be attracted to investing in property for the right things rather than the wrong things. That's to save tax. Um, but in terms of comparing different strategies, such as investing in property or upgrading a home, uh, it's that's why it's pushing uh, or it's showing that upgrading a home can potentially be a better strategy because the negative gearing benefits are a lot lower when interest rates are a lot lower. 
So the key message I really wanted to get across uh, with this um, podcast uh, was that um, the, your home can be one of your best investments. And um, whilst we only purchase our home typically for lifestyle reasons, what I like to do is counsel my clients to do both. To really go and buy a, um, a, an investment-grade property and occupy it as their home so that they're enjoying a strong capital growth rate that is not going to be taxed at the end of the day because obviously you have a main residence capital gains tax exemption, uh, but it also ticks the lifestyle boxes as well. So if you like, uh, you know, trying to there's that saying, don't try and chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. Well, in this strategy, what we're trying to do is chase two rabbits and catch them both. Um, so don't be too quick to discount the idea of upgrading your home as not a fundamentally sound, uh, financially sound, I should say, strategy. It could quite possibly be, depending on the location of the property that you're contemplating, it could possibly be not only good from a lifestyle perspective, but also could be advantageous from a financial and wealth accumulation perspective. And particularly while in it, we're in a low interest rate environment, that strategy becomes uh, more attractive rather than less attractive. So there you go. I thought it was a really interesting analysis uh, between investing in property or upgrading your home. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. And uh, I do from time to time get a bunch of ideas from people. People drop me an email to say, look, can you write a blog about this? Uh, and I can't promise to uh, obviously write about everyone's uh, questions and so forth. And the timing can be an issue as well. But if you do have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. Uh, so until next week, bye for now. Cheers.